All right, y'all are standing up. We're in Psalm 47. We are in week seven of our frequency series. And this morning I want to talk to you about the frequency of joy. Let's read um, Psalm 47, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read from the New International Version. Here's what it says. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great king over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. And your translation may have the word Selah at the end of that. And so if you would, as you're sitting down, turn to somebody and say, Selah. And then the person next to you said, La, right? Yeah, y'all go ahead and be seated. The frequency of joy. Let me give you a quick roadmap, and then we'll dive into the word. Y'all, um, when, I, when I started studying this, I, I just love how alive the Bible is. Don't you? If the Bible for you is like a dusty, boring book, give it another shot. Here, practically, get, get a version you can understand, right? And then give it another shot. Because I love how the Bible speaks. How God, it's alive, it's active. And so when I, when I started studying this, I turned to Psalm 47, 1 through 4, because I was going to, you know, study about joy. And God really just started taking it in all kinds of different places that I ever thought we would go. I believe this is a word for us today. Um, I believe at the end we're going to have some ministry time, and it's going to be awesome. And he, I landed somewhere I didn't think I was going to land. So here's your roadmap for the day. I'm going to give you four reasons to have joy and one way to lose it. Okay, four reasons to have joy, all from the verses we just read, and one way to lose it. Now, let's talk about verse one. Clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. Literally, that word shouts of joy, your translation might say songs of triumph. Um, the words could be like rejoicing, joy, triumph, and the, the Hebrew word is rena. Now, when we started this series off, we talked about a couple of Hebrew words. One was ruah, remember, and one was truah. And truah was like the shout at the walls of Jericho, right? He said they, the wall fell because they shouted with a great shout. And that word great shout is truah, and it's a, it's a sound of triumph. You with me? So when I read this, and I was like, I read the, the translation that says, like, shout to God with a voice of triumph. I just thought, well, that's got to be the same Hebrew word, right? Because triumph and triumph, and that's where the English language is not rich enough sometimes. The Hebrews and the Greek languages, they have more words to describe things more fully. So when I looked it up, I saw it was, it's rena. It's not the same word. And here's what it means. It means a ringing cry. <laughs> Some of you are like, I have a ring in my ear from the worship, right? It's like sometimes like whenever you hear something, I want you to think echo, right? It's a ringing cry. It's like there's a shout, and then it just keeps on, and we would call that an echo, right? Yeah, that's what this is. It's rena. It's a, it's a ringing cry. It's the same Hebrew word that was used in Zephaniah 3.17, where it says that God rejoices over us with singing. He renas over us with singing. Some of you are like, why do we sing all the time? Well, because it's in the Bible. Like, it's part of what we do. Sing to the Lord. That's why we sing with joy. So, first off, 
if we can't sing to God with a shout of joy, with a frequency of joy, then we have lost our joy. More on that in a minute. Here's your four reasons to have joy. Number one, God is awesome. Listen, if, if you're not quite sure how to study the Bible, let me just give you a quick tip. Verse 1, clap your hands, all ye nations, shout to God with cries of joy. Verse 2, what is the first word? Four. And all that means is that whatever comes after that word explains what came before that word. This is just practical Bible study. Are y'all good? Okay, good. Me and Kathy. This is awesome. <laughs> People listen to the podcast. One person came to church today. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. That's, that's not a suggestion. It's a command. We are to have a shout that rent us with joy. We should have this ringing joy, this echo of joy. When people hear us, when they watch our lives, when they hear the words that we speak, they should in those words in our lives hear and see joy. Turn to the person next to you because I don't think you're listening and say, not a suggestion. So what that should do is every person in this room that follows Jesus, everybody watching online that's a follower of Jesus, everyone who hears this message from now until Jesus comes back that's a follower of Jesus cannot hear that and decide, I don't want to do that. We have to hear that and say, oh God, mark me with that verse. Mark me with a cry of joy, a shout of joy. Because, and so again, four, these, he's saying everything that comes next is why you should have joy. So here's four reasons to have joy. Number one, for the Lord most high is awesome. And some of y'all hear that, and you're like, oh, sweet, God's awesome. Yeah, dude, our God is an awesome God. He reigns. I don't have the hair for that, right? We think about that. We think everything's awesome, right? You know what they said in the Lego movie? Everything's awesome. We've, we've so watered down that word awesome that we don't even know what it means. Oh, God's so awesome, man. Yeah, he really is awesome. And what that word means is fear-inducing. God is terrifying. Yes. Yes, the Hebrew word is Yahweh, not Yahweh, but Yahweh, and it means to be feared. Genesis 28, 17, this is a verse that says this, He was afraid and said, because he stepped into the presence of God, He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. There is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. In that verse, he was afraid, that word afraid is our word for awesome, and said how awesome, and in this Verse, the word for awesome is also our word for awesome. Same Hebrew word. One is he's afraid, and one is this is awesome. Yeah, I, I would just submit this to you. We've lost that. Jesus is my homeboy. Actually, no. He's your Lord. He's not your homeboy. He's not your buddy. <clears throat> You're not your pal. He is your friend because he's a friend of sinners. But he's not like, hey, man, 
Jesus and we're just hanging out, man. I mean, I, I, he's my buddy. He's my pal. We go to strip clubs together. No, I don't think so. Right? And some of y'all are like, well, I would never go to a strip club. I know, but he was with you watching porn. He's not your buddy. But he understands me. Yes, because he knows you. He made you. And he knows what you're made for. Right? We have lost the fear of God. And he is, and when we see, and I hope you get this, when we see that it starts here, I you'll see how God put all this together. Miss Bridget gets up and she's like in the back at 8 o'clock. Today we just need to think about Jesus. Jesus is Lord over all, right? See, here's what happens. In, in the Bible, it starts from God and it comes down. And in our church culture today, especially in America, it starts with man and works its way up. It has to start with a high and lofty view of God. You are awesome. And my joy, my shout of joy is based in who you are and where you are, not who I am or am not and not where I am or are not. I almost said am not. That's not right. We can have joy because God is awesome. And here's number two. We can have joy because God rules. The Lord Most High is awesome, the great king over all the earth. Listen, we don't, we don't really know how to relate to kings because we vote for presidents. But when this was written, countries had kings. And kings were feared because they would kill you. Right? There was no king that was king over all the earth. Kings ruled over parts of the earth. See, he didn't say, hey, God, you're a good king over some of the earth. And you're a great king over all the earth. And great here in the Hebrew is not like, you're great, Tony the Tiger. It's you're great. You're over all. You rule. Now, now watch this. This is how that correct view of God helps us. And I need to say this because I don't want you, I don't want you to think I'm, I'm insensitive to, like, the emotions that we feel. When we have the correct view of God... We see our life through who he is. So instead of saying, well, if, if God's so powerful, why won't he fill in the blank? Can I, can I throw some blanks out? That was weird. <laughs> if God's so powerful, why won't he heal cancer? If God's so powerful, why do children die from lack of nutrition. If God's so powerful, why do countries fight? It, this is the number one reason why people don't put their faith in Jesus. Find, find somebody who is not following Jesus and ask them why, and this is what they'll say. However they word it, it will all come back to evil. If God is so powerful, why would he allow that to happen? It's a legitimate question. But when we start with him as awesome, awe-inspiring, there is none like you. Not only are you the most high, but you rule over all that affects my life. When we see him that way, then we don't say, if he's so powerful, why won't we? We begin to say, because he's so powerful, how will he? 
it changes everything, right? We begin to look for and expect the answer from God, not doubt whether he really can do that. And I would, I would submit, y'all, that part of the reason why the church is not marked by joy is because we get hung up right here. An honest question, right? I mean, like, like a couple weeks ago, was it? I just shared with you, like, honestly, before we pray for somebody to be healed, like, that's a struggle for me. And we come out of our skin. Like, what? what? How, how can you admit that? Are you kidding me? I can admit it because I'm not God. <laughs> but it doesn't take away my faith in God. And because I know that he rules over all and that cancer, that addiction, unemployment, it all has to bow its knee to Jesus. Because I start there with that view of God, it, it, it filters the way I see my life. Well, that prodigal's never going to come back. Really? Because the Bible says that God's arm is not too short that he can't save. So what is informing our life? Is it what we see and we can't figure out how that could fit with that? Or is it that we see God for who he is and say, well, I don't know when or how, but <laughs> you can handle that. And when you see God that way, you can't help but get filled with joy. Because you know he's going to come through. You just don't know when or how. Some of you are like, I don't know if I believe that. And you're all liars. Because when you were a kid, you got so excited about Christmas. In April. You would bug your parents. You would write down, like, lists of things you wanted and slide it. Now, now you just, like, airdrop it to your parents, right? You found a way to make sure they knew what you wanted about something that wasn't going to happen for eight more months. You didn't know how they were going to buy it. They didn't either. You didn't know when they were going to buy it, where they were going to hide it when they wrapped it. You had a lot of unanswered questions, but you knew one thing for sure. Christmas is coming, and I'm going to get a present. And if you could do that about Christmas, like how, how much more about God, right? We already know how to believe in what hasn't happened yet. We've been doing it our whole lives. He rules. He's the king over all the earth. Here's number three. So recap, number one, God's awesome. Number two, God rules. Number three, God subdues. Verse three says, he subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. Can you just put a pin in that one for a second? And we'll come back to it. And here's the last one, number four. He chooses the best for us. He chose our inheritance for us. The pride of Jacob, whom he loved. He chose our inheritance for us because he loved us. So can we even, like, add to that? He chose us. He chose us. Like, doesn't that make you want to sit up a little bit taller? Do you ever just look at your spouse and just think, I look, at, I look at you and I look at me and, wow. No, no, no. Some of y'all are thinking, like, why, did, why would I have ever picked them? No, no. I look at Wendell and I'm like, what possessed you to say yes? I'm so glad you did, right? I'm so glad. 
she's so close to God because 32 years of increased prayer life, right? <laughs> Help me, Jesus. <laughs> she chose me. My, I've told you, my favorite part of weddings is the vows, y'all. My favorite part is when, when the bride and the groom re- begin to realize that out of all the women in the world, I choose you. Out of all the men in the world, I choose you. There's such power in choice. Y'all, he chose you. Oh, y'all stayed up way too late. I don't know what happened, but like, y'all, he chose you. He chose you. And can I I take one more step further? He chose you and he knows you. He knows you. He knows how you are. (laughs) He knows, like, how sarcastic we can be and how we think it's our love language, and it's not because nobody likes it but us. He knows that, y'all, and he still chose us. We can have joy because he chose us. Back to number three. He subdued nations under us and people under our feet. I hope that this blows your mind as much as it blew my mind. Um, because when I started reading this psalm, you know what really got me? I don't know how your Bible is, but in my Bible it says Psalm 47, and underneath it it says who, who wrote it and who it was for. Does yours have that? Like mine says, for the director of music. So, Allison, this is for you. And it was of the sons of Korah, and it says a psalm. And I read it, and I was like, of the sons of Korah? That sounds familiar. Now, here's what that means. The sons of Korah wrote this. I just blew some people's minds because some of you are like, I thought David wrote all the Psalms. Actually, he didn't write the majority of the Psalms. And there are anywhere from 12 to 14 Psalms that are attributed to the sons of Korah. And so I went on a little journey. Can I share the journey with you quickly? I went back to number 16. If you got your Bibles, turn there. I will not read the entire chapter. It is long. I will um, summarize. So I was like, who is Korah? Now, there's a lot of people in the Bible with the same name, but I read a lot of commentaries to make sure that what I'm telling you is true. And most people believe that the sons of Korah came from the Korah that we're going to read about in number 16. And he led a rebellion against Moses. He, he got a couple of people along with him. They have names um, Dathan and, and Abiram. So Korah, Dathan, and Abiram led a, re- a rebellion against Moses. Um, I'll just give you some of the lowlights. Verse 3. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? When he heard this, he fell face down. (laughs) That's a good response from a leader, right? So they're coming against Moses and against Aaron, against their leadership. Now, some of you would think, well, that's just spiritual, but the commentator said because it was against Moses and against Aaron, it was actually against the spiritual leadership and the, like, political leadership because that's what these two men led in the, in the people of God. So he said to Korah and all his followers, in the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, and he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers, and tomorrow put burning coals and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You, Levites, have gone too far. So basically, if I can just summarize, 
Korah is saying to Moses, who do you think you are? Exalting yourself above all the people. You've gone too far. And Moses says, I, I think I know who I am. Let me check with God. <laughs> Face down. Gets back up. Okay, tomorrow God's going to tell us who he picked. Because you've gone too far. So we basically have you and you, and it's a squabble, right? Let's see. Let's scroll down a little bit. Um, verse 15. I'm, I'm passing the part where Moses intercedes for them not to die. Y'all, I'm, I'm not on social media as much as I used to, but I, I did say something this week about um, if you really want to be like Jesus, learn how to endure opposition without seeking retaliation. And I, I, it's straight out of, of number 16 because they're opposing Moses, and all he's doing is praying that God won't kill them. Kill them. Don't kill them, right? I, I, I don't know how y'all pray for people that persecute you. I usually say, kill them. And then God convicts me, and I say, no, really, please, kill them. And, and it takes a while, right? But Moses, like, that was his default. His default was on the face, on his face, asking God to spare these people. So let's start in, oh, boy, verse 16. Moses said to Korah, you and all your followers are to appear before the Lord tomorrow, you and they and Aaron. Each man is to take his censer and put incense in it, 250 censers in all. This is because Korah had gotten 250 men to side with him against Moses and against Aaron. And in the part that we didn't read, Moses had actually said to him, you're not rebelling against me, your fight's with God. Okay? <laughs> Even then, he didn't back down. You and Aaron are, are to present your censers also. Verse 18. So each of them took his censer, put burning coals and incense in it, and stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Korah had gathered all his followers in opposition to them at the entrance to the tent of meeting, so this is a showdown, the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, back up, boys. He said, separate yourselves from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. But Moses and Aaron fell face down again and cried out, O oh God, the God who gives breath to all living things, will you be angry with the entire assembly when only one man sins? So the Lord said to Moses, Say to the assembly, Move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So he warned the, he warned the assembly, verse 26, um, they start moving away so that they won't be swept away. Again, if you're Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and suddenly, everybody backs away from you. What are you, what are you thinking? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking things I can't say. Then verse 28. Again, I hope you like the Bible. I hope, especially like students in the room, like you've been sold this bill of good, this, the Bible is boring. And I want to apologize on behalf of all preachers who have made you think that because we sometimes can be boring. The Bible's not boring. Right? Like, and here's just one example. Verse 28. Then Moses said, to, he's saying this to everybody, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. Verse 30. I love this verse. <clears throat> but if the Lord brings about something totally new, he's, you ever spitballed in a conversation? I'm just spitballing here. I'm just making stuff up. He goes, look, if something were to happen, something crazy, I don't know, like say the ground opens up and they fall into it 
and then the ground closes up and they all disappear. Like if something like that were to happen, then you'll know that God chose me and he didn't choose them. Verse 31, as soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart. Wait, what? Like, <laughs> and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah, together with all their possessions, they went down alive into the realm of the dead. With everything they owned, the earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. Bye-bye. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, the earth is going to swallow us too. I would submit that verse 34 is probably the reaction that the word awesome means to inspire. Um, let's bring it into like, not today's vernacular, because this is probably like a decade old, but like, oh snap, right? When you have that oh snap moment, like, oh snap, God is going to swallow me too. Oh snap, he's not my homeboy. Oh snap, the way I live my life matters. Oh snap, I thought I was offering God holy fire, and now I'm falling into the earth. And the people saw this. Verse 35, and then the fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. I'm not laughing that they died. I'm just picturing it in my mind. Like, this is an understatement, but rebellion is not of God. And this is not a message about rebellion, okay? So just hang with me. I'm just giving you some backstory Because what I want you to see is the man named Korah, who we just read about, his descendants wrote Psalm 47. So when, when, the, when the people wrote, he subdued nations under us and people under our feet, do you think that these descendants of Korah knew what they were talking about? Pretty sure they'd heard stories passed down through the years about great, great, great grandpappy Korah who challenged God and God subdued him under his feet. Listen, we, we don't have joy because people get swallowed by the earth. And um, <clears throat> thankfully, that doesn't still happen, or I don't think. God's not changed. He's still holy. He's still awesome. He's still over all the earth. He still subdues enemies. He still does all of that. We have joy because he will do that. And he chose us. Four reasons to have joy. God is awesome. God rules. God subdues our enemies, and God chooses the best for us. Did you get all those? One way to lose joy. Are you ready? I'm going to go fast. Er, faster. One way to lose joy. Comparison. Comparison. So here's what we tend to do. We compare the speed with which God works in our life to the speed with which he works in others' lives. And it, it steals our joy. Or we compare the scope of what God's doing in our life to the scope of what somebody else is, he's doing in somebody else's life, and we lose our joy. Let me rephrase it. 
when we compare speed, we say to God that our part isn't happening fast enough, and we lose joy. When we, when we compare scope, we say our part isn't as big as someone else's. I'm listening to a book about space, um, NASA, so many facts in that, but here's one that I heard this past week. As big as the space shuttle is, and, and the space shuttle was really small compared to like the things that are being built now, right? As big as these rocket ships are, they have to be transported from where they were assembled to the launch pad. Are you with me? Okay. The distance from where they're assembled to the launch pad is 3.4 miles. It takes six hours to transport it. <laughs> Some of you, you're like, y'all are like, I can't do math on a Sunday morning at 1036. Are you kidding me? You've been preaching for 30 minutes. You expect me to do math? That's, let me just break that down for you. It's really slow. Like inches at a time. Six, some of y'all are runners, and like we run and we're like, we're really slow. Ain't nobody here that slow, right? To take six hours to go 3.4 miles, just trying to do that in my head. If it took you one hour, you'd be going 3.4 miles an hour. You with me? It takes six this thing is crawling. And guess what? The bigger the rocket, the slower the crawl. God, when? When? When will you come through for me? When, when will you be awesome in my life? When will you show that you are ruling over everything that affects me? When, when will you subdue the enemies under my feet? When, God, will I get the inheritance that you chose for me? It's taking forever. And the minute we start to compare speed, it kills our joy. Y'all, I didn't plant this church until we were in our mid-40s. I'm old. And I've, I can't even begin to tell you how many times I lose my joy. Because I say to God, God, why didn't you ask me to do this when I was 20? So I would have had more time. Somebody asked me this week, how am I doing? And here's the verse I quoted back to them. I am in labor. I am in birth pains until Christ is formed in you. That's the, that's the, the burden that leaders carry. Y'all, I, I couldn't love a group of people more than I love y'all. Except... I'm kind of crazy in love with people I hadn't met yet because I want them to know Jesus too. And the way that they're going to know Jesus is not because, like, we put on cool programs with smoke and lights. They're fun. I really love them. But they're going to know Jesus because we look like Jesus. And everywhere we go, they meet Jesus because we're there. Right? And I'm in birth pains. I'm in labor. Women, I don't know what that's like, but I heard it's bad. I'm in labor until Christ is formed in you. That's what Paul said. And I feel that. And so sometimes I'm just like, God, why is it so slow? I'm going to die before we get there. When we redid this building, you can ask John. I'm not lying. We literally said, God, we feel like this is a launching pad to the ends of the earth. God, it's taking forever. 
but he's in control of that. And we can't compare our speed, right? I'm just being, I'm being very vulnerable. Is that okay? The gate is having revival. Yeah. It's, a, it's in Kannapolis? Charlotte. No, they're in Charlotte. They're having a revival. And, and I'm like, I watch some of their stuff online, and this is what I say to God. Are you kidding me? I know that's not a very pastoral answer, right? Because I, I listen to what they say, and I'm like, we, God, we're saying the same things. Why am I out tomorrow, God? Why are we here? Why is it so slow? Why, why, why? And I'm just like, I'm the, I'm the space shuttle whining all the way to the launch pad, right? <laughs> right? It's like, it's an overnight success, a really long night, right? What about scope? Our part isn't as big as someone else's. Y'all, I feel this one too. Everything you see is all about big churches. Nobody talks about a big kingdom. They just talk about a big church. And I'm not going to lie to you. I would love to have a big church. Bigger. But isn't that the lie of the enemy? That everything has to be bigger? I'll be happy when I make more money. How much more? Just more. Right? We can't compare the scope of what God calls us to to the scope of what he calls somebody else to. And when we do, we lose our joy. God's kingdom is built through faithfulness and obedience, and I'm telling you, it is always small first. Zechariah 4.10 says, don't despise the day of small beginnings because God rejoices. There's our word joy. He rejoices to see the work beginning. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he makes all things beautiful in his time. And I'm going to end it with um, Philippians 1, 4 through 6. From my other Bible on my phone. Hey, band, y'all can come back up. Let me give you a big idea, then we're going to pray, then we're going to read this, and then we'll just see what God wants to do. This is not, this is so simple, y'all. We can have joy because God has us. It's as simple as that. I was trying to think of all kinds of things that would sound so much better than that. But it all boils down to this. I have joy today because he has me. Right? The things he's calling us to do are hard, y'all. And they, are, they make us vulnerable. Um, I was at the gym the other day, running. I think y'all saw me. Y'all thought I was dying. I was. I'm on the treadmill. And I, I'm not, I don't talk about this to make me sound good. I'm just, I'm hoping it's something you can relate to. Hold on. Vulnerable moment, sweat. Okay. I'm at the gym, and I'm running on the treadmill. And here's what I've learned about my life. The further I push myself physically, like to get in shape, um, the more I tick.
not like a clock, but like the more my face twitches, the more Tourette's comes out when I work so hard to keep it hidden. So I have a choice. I can just go through life and not try harder, or I can just tick. And I look around the gym and nobody else is ticking. Everybody else has got that Michael Jordan thing where they make everything look easy and you know it's not. Steph Curry does that, just like crosses half court and hits a shot and you're like, anybody can do it. Nope. <laughs> it's worth the struggle, y'all. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sell you a bill of goods and tell you that God makes everything easy. But he is over all. And Paul was writing to the Philippians from prison. I know prison. I know what it's like to feel like you'll never get out of where you are. And I can't say that my words are the same as Paul's because mine aren't always marked by joy. I want them to be. And this is what he said. From prison. Philippians 1 verse 4. In all my prayers. How many? In all my prayers for all of you, how many? In every prayer I pray for every one of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Y'all. We have confidence because the one who started it is the one who finishes it. It might make us look weird and we might be, be all kinds of things, but it's not on us. It's on him. He's looking for people who will simply say this, I'll be who I am and I'll trust you to be who you are. And I'll have joy because you have me. You have the broken me, the ticking me, the twitching me, the comparison me, the one who never measures up, never feels like he's enough. You have me. Can I tell you the other takeaway from this? And, and I really feel like we need to pray into this as we close. Make sure I say this really clearly. The descendants of Korah wrote the song. Okay, let's try again. The descendants of a rebellious man who stood against God and was swallowed up by the earth wrote the song. Your destiny is greater than your biology and history. Let me say this again, even more clearly, and then we're going to pray. Our culture is lying to us. Our culture is saying this. Well, if you have depression in your family's tree, then you'll have depression in your family forever. Oh, holy cow. I don't even care if it makes you uncomfortable. That crap stops with me. Right? I'm going to put a line in the sand. We got men getting together talking about foxholes. That's a good thing. Well, be a man. Quit talking about it. 
do something about it. Live a different life. I will twitch until the day I die if Jesus doesn't heal me. And I'll be on the treadmill twitching until the day I die if he doesn't heal me. But I will teach my sons how to live through stuff that's hard. What will you teach people coming behind you? Well, you'll, you'll probably always need medication. Because, you know, your, your dad needed it and your granddad needed it and his dad before him and his dad before him. Um, will you just stand up for a second? Can I just tell you what my wife's not? Turn around. I'm sweating. I'm so sorry. My wife's not an alcoholic. And it runs in her family. I'm not planning on killing myself. It runs in my family. But something's going to run from my family that's different than what runs in my family. Some of you in this room, you have made choices based on your family's past. Well, we lived together because my mom and dad, that's what they did before they got married. Okay, that's what they did. He's calling you to something different. It's going to take a little bit of work, right? We talked about that last week. The rocket, it has to go fast enough to stay in orbit to have a new normal. It's going to take a little bit of effort, y'all. But he's giving you the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You are not who your family was because of the blood of Jesus. You need some physical proof? Come back tonight and watch eight people declare it. We're different now because of what Jesus did. I don't have to fear depression moving forward. Ask me if I'll feel it. It's okay. Ask me. Yep. Mm -hmm. Probably when I get in the car today and go, did I really say that? Tomorrow's Monday, y'all. I've got things in my life. We have things that we say all the time. We don't quit on Monday. We don't quit during a pandemic. And I personally don't quit in January because it's not a good month for me. We can talk about that some other time. Do you see how all of this is just me trying to live out faith, waiting on God to come through? Y'all, stop thinking that faith in a magic button is the kind of faith that God's pleased with. Stop. He's looking for people who will walk in faith for the rest of their life on the long, slow trip to the launch pad. Every inch, every inch believing that when I finally get here, he will lift me off. All right, let's do this. Let's pray. I've hesitated to say something like generational curses because um, people have all kinds of reactions to that, right? But I will tell you this, that Wendy and I, we, we can't do it now, but we saw a powerful testimony this week of somebody whose family was transformed because God broke a generational curse, and they were the pastors that didn't believe in it. And we were like, 
resonate with those people, right? But their lives are different because God highlighted something and it got broken off. It got broken. Somebody put a line in the sand and said, no more, it stops here, right? Because of Jesus, it's going to stop here. And I really do believe that today, I mean, obviously, we want to pray that we'd be marked by joy. But I do believe that in this place, there's some cursing. There's some, there's some generational stuff. Are you feel better with the word stuff? I'll get to you. Come, come on up. You can probably close this better than I can. And, and you don't sweat, so you're good. Yeah. Um, I really want us to pray. So I'll just highlight a few things. Immoral addiction doesn't have to go from one generation to the next. You actually do have the power, if you're a follower of Jesus, to live a moral and holy life as an example to your kids that's different than what your parents gave you. Addiction does not have to go from one generation to the next. Now, if you talk to Wendy, I'm getting to you. You're doing so good. If you talk to Wendy, my wife is so aware. I'm just saying this as a disclaimer because some of y'all are like, well, it is in your body. Wendy is so aware of how alcoholism gets passed down in the bloodline. She doesn't go near it, y'all. She's not an idiot. She's also not an alcoholic. Because she said, not me. I believe the word, and I'm, it's not going to be me. You don't have to be addicted because your parents were. You don't have to look at porn because your dad did. Okay, make this better. Satan ruined my grandparents' marriage. They're divorced. 32 years ago, Satan ruined my parents' marriage. They're divorced. Five years ago, I told Satan to go back to hell where he belonged. Because he can't have my marriage. And he's not going to have my daughters or my granddaughters or anybody else's in my family. And it's easy to hear the pastor say it and go, oh, well, he's the pastor. And it's easy to hear people that you know have, have lived a long life and have made these great choices. Good gosh, the terrible, awful, no good, very bad choices I have made in my life. But I'm standing in front of you at 37 years old telling you, I'm 30, yeah, that's right, 37, <laughs> telling you something like that, that when I got married 14, is that right, 14 years ago, I'm really bad with dates, 14 years ago, I didn't understand what marriage was. I didn't understand what marriage meant. Nobody taught it to me. And Satan tried to steal it. And he can go to hell. If you're new here, this is the part where the church makes my sermon better. You're doing great. I haven't even started yet. 
fair enough. So it's been screaming at me ever since um, the service started today, and it's been screaming at me as Bridget got up here and talked about healing, and as we prayed for healing for people today, and as Paul started very early in his message and was talking about one of the great burdens and barriers that people have to believing in God and believing in Jesus. What was that burden and barrier? You were paying attention, right? What was it? Yeah, what? Where, where is God in the midst of our grief? Where is he in the midst of our sickness? Where is he in the midst of our broken relationships? Where is he when things are hard? Right? And it's just... I'm sitting in that chair and I'm getting told, get up there and tell people this bit of your testimony. And a lot of you know it, but some of you don't. And I'm not going to call him forward because he would never forgive me for it. But my boy is back there. My boy Mark is back there. And for those of you who don't know his story, for some reason unknown to his mother and I, we were called to adopt this little boy from Manila when he was seven years old and we brought him home from that orphanage and we would look at each other and we would know that he is ours and we are his and we would not know how or why this happened and the world shut down in the midst of COVID the world shut down and a week and a half later my boy was diagnosed with a biological cancer, with a genetic cancer, with Ewing sarcoma, bone cancer in his knee. In Isaiah 53, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid as, we hid as it were our faces from him and he was despised and we esteemed him not surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet did we esteem him stricken smitten of God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed that's a promise of what's going to come that's a promise in the Old Testament from Isaiah. And I lay on that floor in the middle of the night in the hospital. I lay face down on that cold floor just knowing some nurse was going to come in and hit me in the head by that opening, her, opening the door, right? And I prayed to God and I called out and I wept and I cried and I prayed healing for my child. And it was intense. And I was a sobbing, wet mess as I prayed, God, give me that cancer. Take it from my child. Put it on me, but heal my boy. And those doctors came in the next day and talked, came in, shoot, they ran test and test and test. And one the next day, it was day Friday, it was almost a week later, they come in and say, yeah, you've got a, you've got a path you're going to walk. And 
we can do this every three weeks or we can do this every two weeks. And most kids do it every three weeks because they can't handle it every two. And you're looking at 14 or 15 or 16 months of this. And we said, let's do it every two weeks. We want to be aggressive. Let's go. And they said, all right, at some point, this isn't, we're going to have to back off. But we'll, we'll chart you this course to finish this in eight months. But know that it's not going eight months. And we went through chemo treatments every other weekend and we went through a break in the middle of the summer that break to take his knee out and turn his foot around and my boy finished that treatment and was cured of his cancer in eight months and one week I want you to remember that promise in Isaiah, that promise to come by his stripes we are healed. Because the rest of the story is that God answers your prayers sometimes, doesn't he? <clears throat> we have that promise of healing from Isaiah. And then last January, I was diagnosed with cancer. And I got to sit in my living room and look that boy and my bride and my other two boys in the eyes. And I saw the hurt. I saw the uncertainties. I saw the fears. I saw all of the things as I told them about the diagnosis and as my boys just looked at me plainly and said what the doctors tell you how how long do you have and I told them well look there's man's book and there's God's book right I will tell you what man's book says man's book says I left that hospital and I was driving home and I got the call from the doctor and I'm coming up on a stoplight where I've got to make a turn and Doc calls and he says, your cancer has spread. And I say, what does that mean, Doc? And he says, well, Tim, that means that technically, medically, this is incurable and you're going to die from this cancer one day. And I made a turn and thought on it. And he says, Tim, are you still there? And I said, yeah, Doc, you're going to have to give me a minute. He says, I know it's pretty big news and I said no you I just turned I'm headed towards Mount Holly and I should be headed towards Albemarle I just turned the wrong way let me go let me turn around and we turned around and we talked a bit more and I'm talking to my boys and I say that's man's book that is not God's book because Isaiah is an Old Testament writing Isaiah is before our Lord and Savior Isaiah is before Jesus and then you have Jesus. And you have Jesus on that cross. And you have 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And listen, because language matters and verb tenses matter. 
who his own self bear our sins in his own body on that tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness and by whose stripes you were healed. Past tense. We've got a promise in the Old Testament and we've got an assurance in the New. And I've got that assurance. And I've got that assurance rooted not just in a vacant hope. I've got an assurance that I can look to this 14-year-old kid with a backwards foot and say, I watched God heal you. And I know God has healed me. And that, that is for you. If you're hurting, if you are hurting from depression, relationships, substances, any of anything, you name it, you bring it to this altar in front of this band, you do it and, and make that commitment today. If you feel that call in your heart, if you feel that beckoning, whatever it is, whatever that hurt is, he is seeking you to seek him. Bring it to him at this altar. Amen. All right. They're, they're coming to talk some more. But listen, um, some of you need to respond because we need to pray for you. So why don't you start coming up here. They're going to start singing some in a minute, and we're going to pray. Come on, you can come up. Are you all okay with that? You, you need to wait till they stop talking to respond? I'd say just come on up here now. Mine will be short. Um, so addictions do run in your blood. Family traumas run in your blood. Generational curses are so real. Blessings are real. Curses are real. Angels are real. Demons are real. That power is there. But the blood of Jesus is in your blood. And you can fight that. If God is for you, nothing can be against you, even when you are against yourself. So good. I just want to break the stronghold of a religious lie off of the people, some people in here, I'm one of them, that I have to have more faith. You know, it, it's, it's like I was reading a testimony of a lady who got radically saved, went to Africa, served for six months, felt condemned the whole time there because she was being taught that God is looking at you every time you make a mistake. He's, no, 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 you're a bad person. And she got back and she got back to the States and got under some sound teaching that says the just shall live by faith. And, and as I thought about that in Habakkuk, it says the just shall live by faith in God. So it's not about how much faith you have. It's about where you place your faith. The two hanging on the cross, one never got baptized, never heard a sermon, just got a revelation and said, Lord, remember me when you're in eternity. His faith was in the one on the cross next to him. So my encouragement to you, if, if you feel like I can't get that because I don't have enough faith, I ask you to renew your mind and let us pray for you and speak truth. It is about the faith, where you place your faith. It's not about how much. A mustard seed is, you, if I had one in my hand, you couldn't even see it. That's how small it is, but it creates a big tree. And that's all he's asking us for is faith in him. 
Okay, we're not trying to wear you out. So can we respond? Um, you just got a choice to make, y'all. Clearly, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today. Just bring your brokenness to me. That promise that Tim was talking about, some of you have you have a promise from God and you even, you've even today said it's just taken too long. And you have become a cynic where there used to be joy. You have no hope where you used to have hope. And he changes the valley of despair into a place of hope. And he's going to do that today. And we're asking for the privilege of praying for you. Would you allow us to do that? There's physical healing that we want to pray over today. I know that there's emotional stuff in the house. Y'all, it's time to draw a line in the sand and say, I... I will wait on him for the rest of my life, but I refuse to believe that he will not come through. He will do what he said he will do. Even when the journey is slower and smaller than we want, he will come through.